This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings from iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Joshua, Helmut, and Bethlehem by Michelle Donovan. The co-editor of this book, Pastor Art Birch, joins me from British Columbia in Canada today. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Your book has uh, 56 pages. You are intimately involved in the uh, process of getting this published. Tell us a little of uh, the background of Michelle Donovan and how this story got to be uh, printed. Sure. Well, Michelle uh, was actually born uh, uh, in in the early years of the Second World War. In fact, uh, the night she was born, uh, her city fell to the Germans. And uh, her dad had been fighting with the resistance, so he was in hiding, and her mother was accompanied by uh, her sister to the hospital where Michelle was born two months premature. So she grew up in, in, the, in the midst of the horrors of the Second World War, and, and that's reflected in this story in a in certainly a much more gentle way, but it, it, it comes out. Um, uh, given her, her dad was actually captured then, uh, uh, and uh, and held prisoner and uh, taken to four different uh, uh, prisoner of war camps. Some of the some of the worst names that we we know about, like Auschwitz, etc. And uh, so she experienced separation from family. Uh, and again, this story is about includes uh, those elements as well. And. Um, um, Yes. Yeah, so coming away from the from um, she grew up. Actually, she was separated from both her mom and her dad because her mom couldn't um, couldn't raise the three siblings, and so she was raised by grandparents, uh, by herself and her her two sisters were raised by other family members, and so she was a lonely little girl with grandparents making friends with uh, animals in their grandparents' back garden, etc. And uh, very lively imagination, and again, all of that's also reflected in this story, where the, the little boy has a has a friend who's a mouse and that sort of thing. So she writes the story, wanting to reflect the horrors of war, but also wanting to, um, to talk about the innocence of childhood and the love of friends and uh, the comfort and hope that's found in faith in God and um, and the delight of reunion with people that we love. Those those are kind of the themes of this story. Who is Joshua and Helmut? So Joshua is a little Jewish boy who um, finds himself, uh, along with uh, uh, others, in a in a prisoner of war camp. And in fact, he um, he uh, manages to uh, outlive his parents and uh, and and. Uh, uh, is finally then taken uh, by the um, uh, by the Germans to per- perhaps be a, a source of blood transfusion for a little German boy who's uh, the son of a of a German officer. So Helmut is the little German boy who has some sort of a blood disorder and uh, needs transfusions of uh, of compatible blood that will help him out. And uh, 
So that's how these little boys meet. Josh was taken out of the prison camp where he meets Helmut, uh, taken Helmut's home, and, and basically then lives for the next quite a little while uh, with that family, um, giving regular blood transfusions um, until war's end when uh, they're separated because uh, the dad and his family have to flee. The ter- the town of Bethlehem is mentioned. Would you consider this a Christmas tale, or is this something that really transcends the season? Um, it does transcend the season, but it is also appropriate to the season. Uh, um, Joshua, for whatever reason, calls his little uh, mouse friend that he makes in the camp and, and takes with him to, uh, to Helmut's house. He calls that little mouse friend Bethlehem. And so most of the way through the book, you think that that's the significance of Bethlehem in the book. But actually, at the end of the book, uh, uh, Joshua and Helmut, um, as uh, seniors now, are reunited by, uh, surprisingly, quite, quite um, serendipitously, um, not planned, uh, in Bethlehem as they're celebrating Christmas. So it's kind of a Christmas tale, too. How how is her writing style? Would you describe it as um, primarily imaginative, or is it also instructive in its style? Well, it has elements of both. Uh, Michelle is a very uh, uh, has a very lively imagination. In fact, uh, as as I mentioned, she entertained herself as a child growing up with grandparents. Uh, uh, and part of that entertaining herself was imagining all kinds of stories. So in adulthood, she has written out many, many, many of these stories. She's got stacks of them. This is the only one that's been uh, published. But so she's very imaginative in her, her writing. She actually first wrote the book in French, and then she herself translated it into English. And then my wife and I helped her to get it into more flowing English. But uh, one, of the, one of the marks of her writing was... Um, incredible number of, uh, of word pictures and metaphors and uh, lively adjectives, so very imaginative in that way. But she also is really clear in the book that she, she wants people to understand how terrifying war is and, uh, and wants people to understand how comforting and wonderful uh, faith in God uh, and in the Lord Jesus Christ is. 56 pages. Uh, this book is, uh, although it's, uh, I guess, directed towards a younger audience, it's not really a children's, a uh, young child's uh, book, is it? It's a little older than that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, these days um, with the kids having access to so much media, which uh, uh, television and movies, etc., there's quite a variation in terms of kids' tolerance for um, frightening things. Uh, some kids at an early age are quite able to handle stuff, and others are more sheltered from that. And uh, and uh, so, you know, it's probably a child would pretty much have to be. It's probably more approaching puberty by the time a person would be able to handle the uh, maybe the, the the fear of of this. But younger children might be able to too. Parents would have to decide that. There are beautiful illustrations in the book, so that uh, speaks more to a childhood audience. The uh, illustrator, was that someone you knew or she knew, or was it someone that you discovered? Yes, it is someone we knew. Uh, This is a young girl who grew up in a a previous church that we had pastored, and a wonderful artist. She now lives in Ottawa, and uh, so when Michelle was looking for an illustrator, um, uh, we found her. Share with my audience in a couple of paragraphs how you would introduce this book to an audience and get them interested. Yes, well... um, Um, one of the realities of our current world, unfortunately, is, uh, is war. There is war in the Middle East and many other places. 
And uh, so this this uh, book of, uh, starts then in the midst of the Second World War in a, in a German prisoner of war camp, and yet it's it's lightened and brightened by a friendship between a mouse and a boy. And uh, and then uh, the boy is kind of rescued from the camp. Um, and so just how that, the twists and turns of all of that and how that all works out, and of course for him it's uncertain. He doesn't know whether he's being rescued or he's being taken off to his death. But in fact he is being rescued because another little boy uh, needs his help through blood transfusions. So then there's the joy of friendship and the joy of things that boys do, like riding horses and exploring and uh, and playing in the back garden and uh, the joy of all of that. Um, and um, um, and their discussions about life and about God. And, uh, and uh, then there's a wonderful twist at the end as these two characters find each other after decades of separation. Is there a moral to this story besides the obvious one of faith and hope? Hmm. Yeah, I think that, yes, I think the moral to the story that Michelle would like for people to understand is that um, there is an alternative to war, and it's love and mutual acceptance. Um, yeah, I think that's the message she wants to. Mm-hmm. Was this to this is a unique book in many ways. Uh, it is different. Do you think it's different than others in the marketplace that have dealt with similar topics? Yeah, I think it is unique. I, uh, I mean, every writer comes at things in a different way. Um, um, and uh, we found it very unique when we read her English translation of it and tried to retain her voice and her flavor. But um, it, is a, it is not a book I would have written just the way it's written, uh, but it's uh, just delightful. And uh, so probably somewhat stands out far apart from some other books in, uh, in uh, some of those features. As co-editor of the book, and Michelle being primarily a French-speaking uh, individual, were there other challenges you had in translating her emotions and her thoughts into the English language and getting this published? Uh, I think there were. Um, like, like I said, my wife and I tried to retain Michelle's voice, um, and um, so... Um, we we uh, translated and then we'd take it to Michelle and read it to her and see how she felt about it. Uh, for the most part, she loved what we did, but uh, there were times when we agreed that we would make adjustments to what we did. And then, of course, working with the wonderful editors from the iUniverse, um, they had their own ideas about how things would go. <laughs> and uh-huh. uh, maybe because it is a bit different, uh, there were some uh, some interesting discussions, but at the end of the day, we're very happy with the product. Is there a uh, an underscore or an understanding that uh, if you read this book, you're going to leave the uh, the event as a uh, as a changed person and maybe with a cheerful heart? Yes, it's not. It, it's it, the first page feels heavy because it's in a prisoner of war camp and the little boy's looking out from under the bed at these uh, awful leather boots and he doesn't know what what they're going to do to him. Uh, but it, it it throughout the story gets lighter and lighter as you go along and. Uh, and you'll find yourself um, uh, sort of laughing with delight at the end and maybe with a little tear of joy in your eye. Um, so, uh, yes, it, I think it does leave people with a light heart and with hope, and maybe with resolve to be more accepting and loving. Fascinating uh, concept and a wonderful story. Joshua, Helmet, and Bethlehem by Michelle Donovan and co-edited by Art Birch and his wife. Sir, where can we get copies of this book? Perfect timing. Uh, 
You know, that is a good question, and I, I actually don't know the answer to that question. That would be known by the iUniverse people. Uh, I know in our town you can get it at our local bookstore, House of James, but I don't know where it's available in other places. Well, let me suggest to our listeners that they do a search uh, from iUniverse. They can locate it on their website, and also if they do a search online, typically Barnes & Noble and Amazon will carry a book like this and look for it under the title Joshua, Helmut, and Bethlehem. Michelle Donovan was the author or is the author of this of this work. Have you had an opportunity to maybe read this or have a, a young adult read this book and give some feedback? Um, I, I, I'm, I don't know that I have had a lot of feedback. I have given the book to my to my grandchildren, and um, they were they've been pleased to have it. Yes, I, that's about all I can say about that. Still fresh off the press, indeed. All right, very good. Well, thank you for sharing your story and sharing the story that Michelle Donovan has shared with the world. Hopefully we'll hear from her in the future and uh, her health improves. Not able to join us today, but we're delighted to have her story and her tale of life in Europe during World War II and the adventures of Joshua, Helmut, and Bethlehem. Thank you again for joining me today, sir. Thank you, Jay. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book today is titled oh, Flag on the Summit, and our author who joins me from India is Apalish Sangba. April, mm-hmm. welcome to the program. Yes. Okay. Good to, good to talk hello? with you. Yes, hello. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. This book, Flag on the Summit, is something that you have had a long desire to write a novel. Share with my listening audience, what is this novel about? Is it fiction? This is part fiction, but inspired by a real-life story. And what does it... This is, uh, this is, uh, this is a fiction, I mean, but inspired by a real-life story that I have seen when I was a child. And you are a... a uh, a resident of India, you also have a career in addition to being a writer. What is that career? In addition to my writing, I have a career career as a police officer. Amazing. 
And how long have you wanted to be an author? I wanted to be an author since I was a child. And is this type of book, how would you describe Flag on the Summit? Who is your audience? Who is going to enjoy reading this? Uh, anybody who's interested in, um, those who are interested in my book, I have already given it in the cover. So they can, uh, I don't, I'm not choosing my audiences. They can, well, I'm not uh, choosing my audiences. I'm not choosing my uh, readers. I mean, readers should choose, choose my book. And are they younger uh, readers or are they older or is it a wide range of ages? It's for all, it, it is all, it is for all uh, wide ranges of audiences and readers. It is for all, uh, for teenagers also, so that it can be, in, it can be an inspiration to them, to the teenagers or children. And it can be an inspiration to others also, so that they can see, uh, so that they can see how hard she have, to, uh, how long she, how long she needed to, uh, how to say, story about the story. It it takes a plan, it takes a dream, it takes an uh, uh, inspiration to go up. You you have. You have titled it Flag on the Summit. That gives me yes. the idea of perhaps climbing or mountains. Is uh, that part of your story? Yes, because in life, the destiny where you're going is like going off to the mountain. That is what my meaning is. I mean, to achieve a dream, to achieve something, uh, when you have, when uh, you're surrounding your family background, your life around you, your environment is totally against you. You have to fight against all the odds. That means it's like climbing to the summit and getting the, uh, so reaching the flag. That is what this, uh, the title means. The title means that. You have two young girls as your heroines in this, Gentila and Palmina. Is that the right uh, yes. way to pronounce that? Yes, yes. And how old are these uh, these characters in your book? Those two girls are just imaginary characters. Just names are imaginary, my own creation. Uh, I didn't I didn't have uh, I didn't have anyone uh, I didn't I didn't mean anybody. I didn't borrow a uh, name from somebody. Or doesn't use somebody's name, doesn't use someone known to me. And Hannah, Those two are not. Uh, how old are these these girls? These girls are teenagers. I mean, they're they're. I mean, if you if you read the book, you'll know that how they started as children. So how they ended up till uh, till they have reached to their dreams. What is the book all about? Flag on the summit. The story is about two girls. I mean, two girls. Uh, from very humble background, uh, who have uh, they both have dreams. They both have dreams uh, to achieve something in life. Okay, can, can you get it? Yes, I do. Uh, there's a moral yeah. moral message that must come through. Can you yeah, share? Can you share after that? that? After that, so they both have dreams. They they have dreams. They want to achieve them, and that is why they were studying. 
but when the surrounding their surrounding the environment society family background are so much against them they have they both have to fight they both have to fight against all the odds to make it to their dreams that is the story is love out as a young lady growing up in india did you have access to read lots of books mhm yes not not much in india actually i'm where i'm staying is a very small town and in the one corner of the world uh, we uh, i'm i'm living in a small town and that story i have written is all about a small town i mean it has grown bigger now than when i was a child so the place where i'm living i have no access to much good books but i used to read a lot i used to read a lot when i was studying in college i mean if you want to know whether i read books or not then i i i was a bookish i was a very, i i really love to read books are you hoping to have a positive impact on your readers what is your goal long term for being an author is this something that you would like to do full time all the time writing books i would i would love to become an full time i would like like to become an full time full time author i want to like given a chance but at present i have to, uh, i have to fall back on something that's why i'm still on my job but in the but my uh, real desire is become a full time author yes at becoming uh, an author there always is an, an obstacle or two that you must overcome in order to get your book published were there difficulties that you faced in getting this book to print uh the most difficult uh, the most uh, uh, difficult thing that i have faced in publishing this book is uh like uh, I have given I have given three of my chapters to uh Penguin and other uh, uh traditional publishers they didn't accept it. Mhm. Then after that that is the obstacle I faced. Then after that when I when I tried to publish in uh, I thought I published in India but then I thought I wouldn't get much audience here in India so I just I thought it's better if I publish somewhere. So I was checking. I was going through all the internet. I was searching for publishers. Then I went through this I, this I Universe publisher. So I decided I must try it. When I sent uh, when I sent my when I sent uh, some chapters of my book, they immediately accepted it. They said they are very. I mean, they are very lucky. They are very fortunate to publish my book. They said like that. So. After that, I have this is self publishing, so I have to, I have to send money and money. But send, I have no problem with money. But the problem is sending. The bank uh, banks are not uh, opening up to me. I mean, I have to send it through banks. Yes. So, it, the, the uh, once or twice I can send. Um, I mean, I give my pin card and they have to. Uh, did uh, taken away taken my money for that and after that indian government our government has stopped i mean they have stopped somewhere and it's they could not uh, take money for publishing fees that is the greatest obstacle i face and and now even now i cannot i won't be able to make a wire transfer 
from here because I am staying here and we, for we need uh, this kind um what you call it chartered accountants yes. chartered accountants are not so many people's signature all this recommendation for something and we don't have chartered accountants here in Tura I mean where I'm staying where I'm staying is a very backward place so to say very small place very small place uh, the the uh, audio connection the telephone link is still very good so you even though you may be in a small part of a small town in india your communication is excellent you speak three different languages in writing this book is english the primary language that you produced it in yes english is the primary language i use for writing that book uh, there are uh, there are some uh, words that i used for much especially about our traditional dress I use our own language, but I put it in Italic words so that people will know it is not an English language. Um, so, I mean, there are some Hindi uh, Hindi words also I used. Uh, that is for songs, Hindi songs. I cannot, uh, I cannot, uh, I didn't trans- translate them into English. And that I have learned from, I have, because I have read, read lots of this Mills and Bulls uh, novels. So from there, I came to know that they used to write uh, their own language, uh, other people's language, other uh, countries' language in in their own language. They didn't translate it. So from that, I thought I also can write our language. I mean, some I can use our language and I put it in italic so that people will understand it is not English. Understand it. There is, I'm sure, uh, a scene or two that you have written or penned in your book that may get the attention of the reader and be emotionally drawing them into the story. Is there an event or an incident in your book that you have written that you think is the most emotionally driven? The most emotionally driven part of my uh, part of my book is that when my, my friend's father died and she was blaming God. That is the time when I feel so, I mean, I was emotionally driven because uh, I feel I, I want to help her, but then I cannot comfort her. I want to comfort her during her utmost, innermost pain, but I cannot comfort her in that time. So that is the most emotionally driven uh, part of my story, I feel. What is the message that you want readers to take away from reading this? Will they think this is an enjoyable read? Will they think it's a sad read? Or will they think it's one that's inspirational? I want them to be both motivated and inspired, as well as I want to be sad, and so that they will understand what what kind of, um, how other people are living, how other, how other part of the world is living, how other part of the, I mean, what... In this part of the world, how people are making it to the to their destination, and it is a real, real hard climb to the top, to the summit, to reach where they are today. Uh, they really have to fight against the odds, and it's really, it should be really inspiring, and and they should be motivated by it. Your book should give wonderful insight into life in another culture. The title is "Flag on the Summit." The author, Oplish Sangba. April, thank you for joining me today. Where can my listeners get a copy of your book? They can get a copy of my book in 
Amazon, Amazon.com. They can they can get it from get it from there. And if, if they do a search for the title, Flag on the Summit, they should be able to find it. And also under your name, and I will spill, spell that for my listeners, Oplish is A-P-R-I-L, April, I-S-H, Oplish. Um, and then last name is S-A-N-G-M-A. Sangma. Sangma. April, thank you for joining me today and taking time from your busy schedule, and we hope that this launches a career in writing because you have a passion for it and a desire to tell good stories. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. This book is titled Quest of a Teenage Mystic. I'm not sure if it's a uh, fiction or nonfiction, but our author, Susan Ware, joins me from Alberta, Canada. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to visit with you. The title is interesting. Is this a biographical sketch, or is it a fictional work? It's a fictional work, yeah. It's um, a culmination of, of exploration and searching into the metaphysical world for many, many years. And uh, it's also a fiction to help teens. So it's kind of a mixture. How long have you wanted to be an author? How long have you been on this quest? Well, I've never set out to be an author. Um, writing this, this writing just—I've been writing for years, and it just sort of comes to me. And it's pictures, and it's like a movie in my head. And I really don't have much of a choice other than to to write it out. It's it's an exciting process, actually. Um, but an actual desire to be an author wasn't there. Just the desire to get out on paper what was going on in my head. You've penned 232 pages in this particular novel. How long did it take to complete, Susan? Um, off and on, probably three or four years. I was teaching in and around writing it, so I'd grab a month here, I'd grab a couple weeks there. It was done sort of on the fly. You have mentioned that your book is specifically targeted towards teens. What do you think teens will get out of reading this particular novel, Quest of a Teenage Mystic? 
Well, it has it has several levels to it. It can be just a fun adventure read, and and that's it. But it also can be a recipe for living that gives answers to teens with things they struggle with today. Um, like it can help them to discover that their own personal strengths and weaknesses, and then especially help them to learn how to turn weakness into strength. I don't think that's a tool that a lot of teens have these days. Um, it helps them to learn how to find their own answers and solutions by looking inside themselves. They're, most kids today don't even know there's an inner world that they can explore. We're such an um, external, outward-looking society. Another thing they can discover that's kind of fun is is that they are and that life is not what they think it is, that we are so much more than we believe we are and that we're so much more powerful than we could ever imagine. Um, kids dream of being rich and famous and watch TV where people are wealthy, famous, and happy, and they think that's the only way they can be happy. But what they'll discover in this book is that the ultimate goal of finding your own purpose in this life is where you find happiness. And if you stumble onto your own purpose, it kind of makes your life feel electrically alive, like you're connected to everything and you have meaning in, in, in every day. Um, you don't need to be rich and famous to be happy. You just have to figure out who you are. And... The part that I think is most important that hopefully they will get is they can understand and discover that life is based on unity, not on separation. This one concept that we're all connected can change absolutely every aspect of our lives. It turns our actions upside down and inside out, sort of moving us out of destruction and into power and peace. Um, this sounds a little complex, but... It's a fiction, and these messages come through um, through the adventures that the that the teens the teens go through in the book. And by the end, this message is pretty clear and undeniable. What is the name of your primary character in this novel? Sean Mason. He has three friends that um, join him reluctantly in in the adventures that they that they go through. You've also, uh, I understand, developed a website. What is your website designed to do for teens? Well, it's actually as important as the book. They walk hand in hand. The novel is the inspiration, um, but the website is the means to lead the readers into their own understanding of their own lives and purpose. Um, it guides them through a process so they can look at their own issues, their strengths and weaknesses, and discover how to find solution and answers in, in their everyday. Um, what I love about it the most is that it's a path they can walk together with a friend um, because kids really need each other, teens. Um, and they can practice together exploring their thoughts and beliefs and to experiment with each other and trying to turn negative and destructive thoughts into more positive ones. So basically, together, they're taking control of their lives and learning how to transform them into happier, more exciting ones. Um, but the last part of the website is what I find most exciting of all, and that's 
that I've created a space called Our Live Network or a Living Network Book. And this is for the readers who have chosen to experiment and live the concepts that are in the book and the website. And it's a place where they can send their best photos, their artwork, their writing that describes and shows how these principles and ideas are working in their life. Um, this live net book is their book, and it becomes the third book of my trilogy. It's one thing for me to lay out a map of how life unfolds, but they have to walk it to see where it goes and how it unfolds, and it's their lives, their generation, their world. And I'm really curious to see where these ideas take them. You, know, you say you have a personal mission or purpose in life. You say we all do. Uh, what is your particular purpose, and how did you find it? Hmm. I didn't really find it. It, it found me. Um, when I was young, the pain and the suffering of people felt like my own pain. And actually, I think I probably suffered more than the actual person who was hurting, and it it almost broke me. So as I aged, I was driven to figure out exactly how life worked. I wanted to learn how to stop the pain. And in studying and researching and reading, I began to see systems and patterns that shone a light on suffering, and I began to understand how to work with suffering by following its lead. And eventually I came up with the system that I work with and the system I write about. So it actually turned out that the worst difficulty of my life led me to my purpose and meaning in life. And then in my 40s, I went back to teaching and was appalled at the stress and the pain that my students were going through. So I went to work again to modify my writing to work with teens. And I taught guidance and life skills to teens and slowly was able to adapt what I had learned to their lives. And it was from all of that that this trilogy grew. If you could speak to the teenagers, if there were teenagers in my audience, and if you were, again, in front of teens, talking with them, how would you address them? What's the one thing you want teens to understand? Hmm. I think that this world and all the people in it are one interconnected system, but we're acting as if everything and everyone was divided and separate. And no wonder we're in so much pain. This, this is kind of like one branch of a tree trying to destroy another branch of the same tree and then wondering why the whole goddamn tree is dying. We know we're hurting each other, our world and even ourselves, but we don't understand how or what to do about it. Um, so my book can help teens to see a simple way to move from living a life of division and destruction to, leaving, to living a life of unity. Um, and from this more elevated view, hopefully they may begin to see patterns and connections in their own lives, and they might learn how to get out of the way in order to allow those patterns to unfold in their lives. It's a transformative process and really exciting. It sounds way more complex than it is. As I say, the novel is a fiction, and it, it easily unfolds how this interconnectivity between us all works. And then, of course, the website carries, the, carries those concepts. 
you've shared you've shared that this is a trilogy what is your vision and what do you think will be accomplished by the trilogy I just wonder what could happen if small pockets of teens were to understand the concept of unity and oneness and then be willing to experiment with it together and what if this one simple idea for change was to actually travel on their social media we know how far-reaching ideas are in this world today with media. I, I just wonder where teens could and would take the idea if they were inspired to do so. We've, we've done a poor job of giving teens a society that uplifts them and gives them answers and direction. Um, I just want to lay out the ideas and the means to change and then see if the teens run with it. It's going to be their world. Yeah, the term or the concept of honor is important to you and important in your book. How would you describe that, and what is your feeling about its importance? Well, it's funny. I had a dream years ago, and it's never left me. The beginning of the dream isn't important, but the end of it is really important. The words at the end were, look deep inside yourself, find the best you can be, and be it. And then look out into the world around you, find the best you can do, and do it. This is honor. And I woke up with those words flowing through me. Um, Our teens are really bombarded by self-seeking and self-absorbed messages from the many forms of media today. They're exposed to violence as a solution to problems. They're exposed to the accumulation of wealth as the road to happiness, to exploitation, greed, and revenge as an acceptable means to an end. These messages lead them in the opposite direction from honor. So I just wonder what would happen if teens rebelled and chose that higher road. Could they make a change in our world? Or could their actions and change of heart transform our destructive ways? I don't know, but I would love to find out. And that's why I've written this book, and that's why I created the website. You mentioned Sean Mason as being one of your key characters. Uh, is there a scene or a couple of scenes in here that might get our, our listeners interested in reading more of uh, your book? Well, they, they are wrenched out of their ordinary lives, and they're thrown into alternate realities and dimensions. Um, they have to go through a series of tests and challenges, and if they succeed, humanity will not self-destruct. It's like they were trained before they were born and now they have to go through these challenges to bring that training into their conscious awareness Um, and they become involved with so many weird quirky funny and often scary characters there's a lowly castle watchman named Xavier Steppenlow and his helpers who are five really not so very dignified elderly gentlemen and they help us the characters help us to understand a little bit more of life and often are kind of quirky and humorous about it. Um, the kids lock horns with Sir Brian, who is an ancient, surly, argumentative, and stubborn man, hundreds, maybe thousands of years old, who's there to guide him, and they're dependent on him and very distrustful of him at the same time. Weird things, they find themselves riding a giant sneeze into a dimension where they learn how to manifest anything they want. Um, 
John ends up locked away in a mud hut, left to starve. Um, and it's up to him to find the key in that situation. He finds himself lost in the body of a young boy in India who's dying in the streets, and he has to find the key to get out of that situation. And he also wakens in one of his own past lives. Um, near the end, he has to dive down a deep well to find the ultimate truth of his own existence. And he succeeds in this, but then the real challenge comes later, that he has to prove that he can bring his own purpose um, into the world, which is what I'm challenging all the kids to do, is to find that purpose and bring it into the world. Um, so this book is kind of like a hearty meal with a delectable dessert, I like to think. Most books are just dessert, but my hope with this book and website is to entertain teens while also making a profound difference in, in their lives. Susan, thanks for joining me today. The title of the book, again, is Quest of a Teenage Mystic. Susan, where can my listeners get copies of your book? Um, you can order online, Barnes & Noble, Chapters, Amazon, um, or any local bookstore you can order it. As hinted before, this is part of a trilogy, I believe, so there's more to come in the future, right? There is. There's a second book that I'm working on now. And then the third book, of course, is the kids' book, the Live Net book, that I'm hoping will continue to write itself as long as kids are reading and experimenting. Um, so, yeah, two books from me, one book from the kids. Thank you, Susan, for joining me today. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.